There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he said to his father, look, these many years I've served you, never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I, should, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost. And is found. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for these great words of grace from our Savior. And Lord, uh, would these words deeply shape us as a community? We long to know your grace in our individual lives. You know how deeply we need it. But we also long for our community to be shaped by grace, that 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 would mark who we are. And so use your word and and by the power of your spirit, apply these words to us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our first uh, core value is grace. And uh, the way that we uh, describe what it means to be a grace-centered church is just simply this, that we've received grace. And so we extend grace to others, which means that uh, grace is not simply, simply something that we teach. We do want our teaching to be shaped by grace, but grace is really a whole kind of mood and atmosphere and culture to a church. 
And uh, I've been so grateful the number of times I've heard over the years where people have said about Christchurch, oh, the thing that really happened to me in Christchurch was where I really learned deeply about the grace of God. And that, you know, that partly comes from the teaching, and we want to have every sermon talk about the grace of God, but it also comes from the life of the community where people have, you know, when someone says, people take me seriously and people are so patient with me and I have all these ups and downs and I struggle and they, and they just give me time to change and they're kind and they're generous and they're compassionate to me. And I experience all that. That is the grace of God and it's changed me. And there is nothing that can change a life like being immersed in a community of grace. And it's amazing how quickly people pick up on grace. You know, just by the words we use, by our facial expressions, by the tone of voice that we use, by the subtle actions that we do. You know, when someone comes into a community like this, they have an intuition. And your intuition is picking up thousands of data points around you. And your intuition is so powerful because it can quickly pick up thousands of data points and synthesize those into a judgment of what is this community like. And our hope is that when people walk into this community and they synthesize all that data, what they would, the judgment they would make is this is a place of grace. Grace is the defining mark and quality of these people. And the reason that I bring up all the little subtle details of grace is because this amazing story from Jesus that I just read to you is filled with subtle details. He knows that if you want to understand grace, you have to understand the subtleties of shame and honor acceptance and rejection, self-righteousness and humility, all these things are subtleties of the human heart and subtle, subtleties of human relationships. And all these da- dynamics are at play in this story, and there's no better story to teach us about God's amazing grace than this one. And so today, as we reflect on the, uh, the story of the prodigal son, I want to highlight three essential truths for us to be a community of grace. Three truths from uh, Luke 15, and this is what they are is that we are all younger brothers, we are all older brothers, and we are all servants at the party. Three key truths for us. We're all younger brothers, we're all older brothers, and we're all servants at the party. And whenever you come to a story like this Bible, you have to ask, who am I in the story? And there's a little bit of us in each of these characters. And I think as as we look at the details of the story, it really gives us some insight for God's vision for his church. So three truths this morning about grace. And the first is this. We are all younger brothers. We are all younger brothers. Now, one of the most important things about understanding grace is that you have to have bad news before you're ready to have the good news. You know, sometimes when people talk about God's grace, they're just like, I just want you to tell me God loves me no matter what, and I don't want to hear anything bad about anything I've done because it gives me a pang of shame, and I don't want to deal with that. I just close, plug my ears and say, grace, 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 grace. And, you know, the Bible never talks that way. You know, the Bible, it has a real brutal honesty about how bad our situation is, and we have to understand how bad our situation is and if we're going to appreciate the love and grace of Jesus. And so what is the bad news about the younger brother that we need to understand if we're going to understand grace? Okay, well, a couple things. The first is that our sin is worse than we imagined. Our sin is worse than we imagined. And you see how this uh, story begins in verse 11, where it says, And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, 
give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, you might be tempted to think that really the really bad thing that the younger brother did was this squandering property and reckless living. You know, he's getting drunk and he's sleeping around. Um, That sounds really bad. But for someone in the first century, that's not really the shameful act that the younger brother did. The real shameful thing is that he wanted his inheritance that he was supposed to get when his father died. He wanted it now. And uh, he's likely in his late teens. He's a single man. And basically what he's saying is he's like, I want to sever my relationship with my father. I don't want a relationship with you. And actually, uh, in Greek, it literally says, Father, give me the share of wealth that is coming to me. And it says, and he divided to them his life. He divided his life to them. The younger brother is basically saying, I wish you were dead. Now, if you've had someone in your life who gets all kinds of benefit from you, but they don't want a relationship. They don't care about you. They care about your stuff. You know how painful and hurtful that is. You know the, the, the shame of that. And I've thought about that with my own parents. You know, my parents helped me go to school and helped me become a pastor. And I imagine if they gave me all these things and, and helped me, but I said, I, you know, I'd rather not talk to you or have a relationship or have any conversation. I just want your stuff. You can imagine how hurtful that would be. And so when we say that our sin is worse than we imagine, what's worse, getting drunk or saying to your father who loves you, I wish you were dead and I wish I didn't have a relationship with you? What are you going to feel a deeper shame about? What's going to keep you up at night and say, that was so selfish of me. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I was so, you know, cared so much about myself but not about the relationship. Well, we are all born with hearts like that towards God. God is our Father. He's our Creator. We were made to have a relationship with Him. And what we want is all His stuff. Say, God, I want you to give me romance in my life. I want you to give me success in my work. I want you to give me health. I want you to give me a nice house. I want all your stuff, but I don't want a relationship with you, which is basically say, I wish you were dead. I wish I could have your stuff and you would be dead. And the Bible is clear that whenever you do that, whenever you say to God, I want your stuff but not you, the result is reckless living. It messes up our life because we weren't made for that. And so all this guy's, you know, getting drunk and sleeping around is the result of this deeper sin that he didn't want to have a relationship with his father. And that reckless living led to a tremendous amount of suffering in his life. And that's the second thing that we learn about uh, the younger brother. And so the first thing is we learn that, you know, that we're all younger brothers, our sin is, is worse than we ever imagined. It's not just little selfish things that we do. It's the severing of the relationship with our creator. But the second problem that we have as younger brothers is that our suffering is more than we can manage. So our sin is worse than we imagined, and our suffering is more than we can manage ourselves. Sin and suffering are two problems. And you read about the suffering of the, young, the younger brother in verse 14, You see what it says there? And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out 
to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his uh, fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And so the turning point in this guy's life is really the suffering that he's experiencing. He's like, I just can't manage this on my own. And it's actually an interesting thing about this story. Someone told me that there was a study done to try to understand how different cultures read the Bible. And when they read the Bible, they hear different things. And a bunch of people from different ethnic backgrounds read the, prodigal, the story of the prodigal son. And then they were asked to recite it by memory. And there was one detail in the story that Americans always left out, but people from other countries always included as a key part of the story. And the detail is there in verse 14 where it says, a severe famine arose. Americans don't even notice the famine because we don't experience famine. We've never dealt with a famine. And, and, but uh, people who face famine knows, oh, a famine came. God uses famines to bring younger brothers home. And actually, uh, just a couple nights ago, I was was talking to Sherry Baird, who's uh, a member of our our church. She's been a member for for 10 years. She's actually moving to France just in a couple weeks. And uh, nine years ago on Easter, Sherry was baptized. And before she got baptized, she was really not interested in a church like our church. She'd been studying Buddhism for 15 years very diligently. And so I was asking her, and now she's been in our church for 10 years and been a part of our community. I said, what, um, what can a church like ours learn about your story and how God's grace changes a person's life? And she says, well, there are really three components that were key to God's work in her life. And, and the second thing was she said, well, you know, you, there's a lot to learn. You're going to have to read the Bible. You've got to read you know, books. You've got to talk to people and ask questions because Christianity is like a whole new way of understanding God and yourself and the world, and you've got to learn those things. There's a learning part. And then she said, and the third thing she said was she said that, uh, you know, there were people that were a real steady presence in her life. The Van Hoffigan family, all through her ups and downs, were just steady and present and supportive and loving. But she says the first thing that God used was that she had to suffer. And she said, it wasn't until my life was brought so low, I was humbled that I realized I need God. And I can't do this on my own. And it's not only that our sin is worse than we imagine, but our suffering is more than we can manage on our own. Sin and suffering bring younger brothers to realize, I need my father. The father I cut off, I actually need him. And we will only be a community of grace when we know that that about ourselves, We know that about each other. So we come to Christ as younger brothers in our sin and in our suffering. And yet, just because you know your sin and know your suffering doesn't necessarily mean that you understand grace. And uh, even this younger brother, when he realizes how lost he is, he plans this speech. He says, okay, I'm going to go home to my father. And and he's picturing in his head, I'm going to say a speech to him, a speech of repentance. You see it there in verse 17 where it says, when he came to, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And I love how Jesus tells this story. You know, the younger brothers planning out how he's going to make things right. But his speech that he gives is not a speech of grace. What's his speech? 
I'm going to come be your servant and I'm going to work off my debt. All the things that I did wrong, I'm going to make it right. And that is not the gospel. The gospel is not that we come back to our Father and we all work off our debt. The gospel is that Jesus paid off our debt for us. He's the one who, who loved us, the older brother, and we're just welcomed in and restored. And, and so um, the gospel says that Jesus works off our debt and there is something in us that resists grace. There's something in the younger brother who still doesn't want grace. What we get hinted at in the younger brother becomes really loud and clear in the older brother. And so that's our second point, that on the one hand, to understand grace, we have to first understand that we're all younger brothers, that our sins are worse than we ever imagined, and our suffering is not something we can manage on our own. And this humbles us. But the second thing we need to understand is that we are also all older brothers. We all have older brother within us. And I'm going to skip down to the end of the story. So the younger brother comes home and, and the father throws a party for the younger brother who's, who's, who's come back home. And the older brother's out in the field and he hears there's music and dancing and he asks one of the servants, what's going on in there? And he says, your brother's come home and your, your father's killed the fattened calf and he's throw to, thrown a party. And this is the response of the older brother. Verse 28. But he was angry. Now, most of us, you'd think when you hear about grace, like, who doesn't like grace? Like, forgiveness, love, kindness, compassion, and yet he's angry. This is the default of the human heart. The human heart does not love grace. Our culture does not love grace. Our hearts by nature do not love grace. And then he goes on. It goes on. In verse 28, it says, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, you know, he doesn't even call him his brother. He's like, this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And of course, the, the older brother in the story represents the religious leaders in Jesus' day. Jesus was, you know, going and eating with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and saying, the kingdom of God is open to you. And they were all mad that he's eating with the people that he shouldn't be eating with. And this story is actually directed toward them. He's, Jesus is trying to teach them about grace. And I suspect that some of you, when you read this story, would say, I sympathize with the older brother. I know I'm a younger brother in my family. And I, you know was a prodigal who went off in reckless living and getting drunk. And I had an older brother who was, got good grades and did what he was supposed to. And I don't blame him for being super annoyed about his younger brother, who was just that punk kid that he was always hearing about. And, uh, and so you might think, like this older brother, what? You're going to throw a party for that spoiled little brat? I'm the responsible, loyal one who does what I'm supposed to. And then you just dote on him all the time. But the question is, does the older brother really do what he's supposed to? Has he really never disobeyed his father's commandment? That really seems to be what he thinks. I've never disobeyed my father's commandment. Well, actually, this is something I'd never realized in this passage. And, you know, I've read this story so many times. And a new thing that popped out to me was that even in this story, this isn't true. Because what command did the father give in this story? It's there in the end of verse 23. Let us eat and celebrate. 
This is the command of the father. The father is saying to his oldest son, I have a command for you. You're out working in the field, and my command is that you come in and lighten up and dance a little bit and eat some food and celebrate that your brother's home. And what does the older brother do? In verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. He flat out disobeys his father. This is not a heart of obedience. And I picture, you know, it says that the father goes out into the field. Can you picture the older brother's working in the field and the father's like, hey, what are you doing out here? You know, the party is going on in there. I'm working. Like, you know, someone's got to keep this farm running. And he said, you should come in. I bet there's a cute girl in there you could dance with. And he's like, I'm, I'm not going in there. I am not going in there. But, you know, something's happening here that's deeper than just a stubbornness about not going to the party. Because then he goes on to say, I've been working for you, and you haven't given me anything. And in this moment, it reveals the truth of the heart of the older brother that he didn't work because he loved his father. He's actually no different than the younger brother. He says, I want your stuff. I've been working to get your stuff. And just as the younger brother says, I wish you were dead so I could have your stuff, the older brother also wishes his father was dead so that he could have his stuff. He doesn't want a relationship with him. Both the wild living younger brother and the dutiful religious older brother are two ways of saying the same thing to God. I don't want you. I want what you can give me. And you, if you think this was the first time that this anger and bitterness from the older brother came out, you, I mean, the father knew about this. He is his son. He's like, I know what he's like. I know that the servants have to work with him, and, and he thinks he's always right, or something like, you know, whatever it is, this anger has been there before. And the reason talking about the older brother and a sermon on grace is important is it means that we have to preach against both the reckless living of the younger brother. That needs to be preached against but also the religious self-righteousness of the older brother also needs to be preached against. They are both ways of keeping God at a distance. And what do they both need, both the older brother and the younger brother? They both need a gracious father who loves them. And the father does the exact same thing for both of them. What does he do when they're far off from the party? What does he do? He goes to them. You see first in verse 20, that great line, and the younger brother arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father's like, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm running to my son. I'm running. I'm going to give him a hug. I'm going to kiss him all over. And, you know, and the son starts this speech. I'm like, I'm so sorry what I did. I'm going to become one of your servants. And he, you know, he uh, cuts him off on his speech and he says, get the, the robe and clothe him and make him my child again. And Jesus is saying the father in this passage is our God. The God we worship is like this. It's incredibly breathtaking. And this hope, you know where it says that he saw his son and had compassion? Over and over through the Gospels, Jesus is the one who sees people and has compassion. That is our God. But it's not just to the younger brother, it's to the older brother also. The end of verse 28, it says his father came out. He leaves the party and goes out to the older brother and to entreat him. And then these great words that end the whole parable. Verse 31, and the father said to the older brother, son. I love that. Older brother, you are my beloved son. I love you. And then he says, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your, 
For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. He's saying to the older brother, I want, this is who you are. You're my son. I want to be with you. I want to sh- all that I have is yours. I'll gladly share all I have with you. And I want to share with you my heart. My heart of grace, I want you to have that as well. Not just all my possessions, but who I am. He loves them both. And the story ends with this older brother, with Jesus putting before them this question, what are you going to do? Are you going to accept the free, beautiful grace of your father? And in a church of grace, the father is going to be bringing both younger brothers and older brothers into one community to be transformed by the gospel. That's what we are, a community of younger brothers and older brothers being brought together to be transformed by the gospel. And when the gospel transforms us, what will we become like? Well, that's our third point. So we're all younger brothers. We're all older brothers. But lastly, we are all the servants at the party. We're all the servants at the party. And you you see the, the servants mentioned a couple times, first there in verse 22, where it says, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. And I love this picture of the the gracious father. He's basically saying to his servants, listen, I'm going to teach you how to have a party, a party of grace. And that's what the father's doing. He's teaching us how our church can be a party of grace. And whenever God gives us commands, the purpose of his commands is to show us how to be gracious to people, how to extend his grace to people. And then there's the this second mention of the servants down in verse 26. And it says, And the older brother called one of the servants and asked, and asked what these things meant. The servants explained to people the grace of the Father. So that's what we do. That's what we are as a church, is we clothe people. And by the way, if I could just one side comment here. You know, the son gets clothed with the robe and the, and the ring and the shoes. Well, we find out later in the Bible that the way that we're clothed as sons is through baptism. That was his baptism. He's being installed as a son in the father's house. And then what do they do? They, they kill the fattened calf and they eat and they celebrate together. So we have baptism and then we come to the Lord's table. This is where his children come and feast and celebrate with him. And then the servants go out and explain the father's love to the older brother. That's the preaching and teaching of the word. So when we come here every Sunday morning, this is the party of the father. He is here. And I think these things deeply shape what does it look like to be a community of grace? We clothe people. We show compassion to them. We eat together. We have parties together and open our homes. And then we tell one another about God's grace. This is what our father is like, this is who you are. That's what it means to be a community of grace. And what is this whole party about that the father is putting together? It's one thing, and it's there in verse 24. It says, this is the reason for this gathering. This is the reason I'm bringing people together is for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Our church is a party about one thing. That you and I were dead, and now we are alive in Christ. That you and I were blind, and now we see because of Christ. 
I just imagine this feast, you know, the father has it and everyone's dancing. He's like, all right, everybody be quiet, gather around. And he's going to give a speech. He's saying, I'm so glad you're all here. And you know that for months and years and decades, we've been waiting for our beloved son to come home. We've been looking on the horizon. He's finally here. And I'm so glad you're here. I love you all, and I love him, and eat, it, eat all you want, and have a blast. You're my beloved community. That's what our God is like, jovial, jovial, generous king. And that's what the Father is doing here. The best thing in the world is grace. You can't live without grace. I can't live without grace. We can't be a church without grace because grace is the power of God to change a life. And the same father that we read about in this story is our father. And so whether you are a younger brother or an older brother, your father welcomes you in love. And may he welcome many more into this place. Praise be to God for his abundant grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this incredible story. In stories like this, we're reminded that the brilliance of our Savior, how deeply he knows the heart of his Father. And um, Lord, we pray that this church would be a place where you gather younger brothers and older brothers together. And both would say, we need our Father to love us, to teach us, to guide us, to care for us, to provide for us, to forgive us. We long for that in our lives. And Lord, would you shape us and make us a community defined by grace that when people walk in these walls, their intuitive senses would say, the grace of Jesus is here. It's in his name we pray. Amen.